Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Welcome. It is uh, Tuesday, uh, May 11th. Uh, welcome to Ohioan. I got Craig. Sorry, I got Brandon with me today. I'm sorry. My name's all jumbling up today. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing good, Chris. Thanks for asking. Oh, I am too. It's, it's good to be here. Um, I actually woke up early, laid down, and almost slept in too late. So I'm happy my alarm worked this morning. So it's, it's a good morning. Hey, uh, before we get into our show, I wanted to follow up with something yesterday, and I got to apologize. Um, I had a little bit bigger of a day than I wanted, uh, so the show went up a little later than I wanted. Um, but yesterday, we had a big talk about the crew. I know it's a very emotional issue for everybody. If you want the whole discussion, uh, Brandon went on a rant, and we, I kind of gave some feelings about it, too. <laughs> Check out yesterday's show. But I wanted to touch on this because I was kind of surprised. Um the story broke in Massive Report and um, Columbus Dispatch had a version of it on Sunday. And the talk was, hey, it's going to be announced this week. And we didn't know when it was going to be announced this week. I was out driving around yesterday and um, the fans portrayed it was like, hey, it was announced. So I I guess, Brandon, I mean, we, we went over this and um, I, I got to say, I, I love the fan. I love um, Common Man and um t-bone i mean one of my favorite radio shows to listen to but you know they broke this down for four hours and i i, I was just getting tired but I, I guess the follow-up i have is i mean it's done they made the announcement and everything else um I, i've been following some of the prominent you know nordica uh crew supporters and just some of the conversation a lot of people say hey we're out and, and you know, even the Nord nordica twitter uh, account tweeted something yesterday about, hey, you know, you're going this path alone and everything. I know, emotional issue, and, you know, I said it yesterday. I, I think the MLS and the crew are kind of being tone deaf on this, but I also criticize the fans, too. Do you think it's going to continue? And, and by that, I mean we have, you know, it's a, it's an emotional decision, a bad decision by a company. Usually the first week, we're all ticked. We're all ready to take off. We're never going back again, and you know, for as tone deaf as they are, hey, if you like Columbus soccer, this is Columbus soccer, and thankfully they're not leaving. Do you think people will come back? Uh, all the threats of, hey, we're not coming back, do you think people will change their mind after a while? I don't think so. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I, I've just been – I've been a crew friend for only since 2016. Um, but there have been fan, people who have been fans of the team since 1996, and – um, while I always think it's a little silly to get state, like they don't want anything to change. Like some people still want to go back to that god awful 
uh, hard hats logo. Um, you know, I do think um, uh, if you're going to rebrand, as I said yesterday, rebrand good. Rebrand with fan input. Um, don't alienate your current fan base, especially heading into the opening of a new stadium. Um, but there again, you know, I was on Facebook groups and Twitter on uh, for crew groups, crew, excuse me, Facebook groups for for crew supporters, and some of them said the name change doesn't bother me um, because you know they're spending a lot of money on a new stadium, a training new new training grounds. Um, play, spending better on on players, and it's so much. And that truth, and truth told, it's the most investment this team's ever gotten compared to the last two owners. Um, and um, that has to be noted. Um, then again, I would say that you know, keeping the name Crew in, if you know, should have been really like to drop it is really such a big decision that why would you not engage with your fan base? on that decision, really make the case for why it needed to be dropped. Um, the crew had a whole year to make that case. Um, when the dispatch reported in January, 2020, um, that about the rumors of a drop or sources said, Oh, they were dropping that name. Uh, they denied it. Um, they were, they lied. Um, and saying we're not the crew and, the black and gold colors are staying are here to stay. Um, that wasn't, that wasn't true. I was even at a supporters group summit with the ownership with Tim Bezbachenko and uh, Pete Edwards, the right there in front of all the supporters. And, and, you know, Tim Bez is bashing the dispatch saying, I like my uh, uh, news reports to have, you know, non not uh, sources that aren't anonymous, but those anonymous sources are right. I don't know who those, those person people were. I don't even know if it, I don't know who, but they were right. Um, and um, as far as to your question, though, Will, though, I mean, I mean, we we tr we talked about this yesterday. I'm sorry for ranting. I get still angry. Just why about the indifference to it? But um, but to your question, like when there is a, a case study of this, like back in back with um, Sporting Kansas City, another MLS team in Kansas City. Um, they were originally called the, the Kansas City Wizards or Kansas Wizards, uh, the Wiz for short. Uh, terrible name, probably. <laughs> Maybe some people over there loved it. No, no, no offense. Um, the ownership came in. Uh, ownership. I, I think they got either a new ownership or whatnot, but um, they rebranded it to Sporting Kansas City, a very European centric name, um, and. Um, at the time, the fan base rejected it, did not like it. But over time, Sporting Kansas has a great fan base. It, they brought, they were selling out, they were selling out their stadiums, and you know they were performing well and they were competitive. Um, and a lot of, during the Save of the Crew saga, a lot of people pointed that out, saying, "Look, we, we, we want that Sporting Kansas treatment. We want, we want the love and investment, and we will be successful." We have we haven't gotten the love. Um, well, it, I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off because I want to make sure we get to some other stories today. Sure, I, I guess cut me off, Chris. <laughs> well, no, but I guess my thought is I, I get everything you're saying, and, and that's why yes, the MLS and the Columbus Crew are tone deaf. I, I think overall, <clears throat> it, it's like okay, Cleveland Browns. 
I can't stand the Cleveland Browns, but the Browns had a big history. You know, owner said, hey, I didn't get a new stadium. I'm moving. So he moves as a team and everything. Um, yeah, a bunch of fans at the time. I'm never coming back. They stink. And, you know, the Browns had a team, and for as horrible as it were for about 20 years, they still sold a lot of tickets. I'm sure there's some people that said they weren't coming back that weren't coming back. But to be honest with you, for as horrible as the Browns team was, they had mostly sellouts for a long time. They were selling all the tickets. Um, and now the Browns are actually pretty good. They're selling more tickets. So, and, and again, I'm not defending the crew. And this probably is even a better indictment of the front office than a lot of people come up with. Are they going to say, look, you guys are nice and everything. But, hey, if we get a winning team, there's going to be other f- fan groups and everything. I, I mean, I'm kind of wondering if that's what the thought is. Because I, Brandon, I agree with everything you're saying. And, you know, your points are well-founded. I'm just wondering if this ownership is like other ownership groups that say, hey, look, dude, here's a call we got to make. If you're in, great. If you're out, hey, you know, there'll be somebody else that comes if they can, if they can win. And, well, and again, that's the problem with Columbus right now. Unless it's the Buckeyes. And even when the Buckeyes struggle – you know, fans kind of stay away a little bit. Columbus for soccer and Columbus for hockey is, hey, if we win, we'll start to draw fans. If we don't, we don't. And, you know, I don't know. I, it's, I it's, a, it's, it's it's sad case, though. I mean, oh, sure. if, yeah. if, you're fa- if, you're fa- if you're whittling down the American sports fan to someone that only American sports fans only care about winning, only care about championships, I mean – Chris, they're like, they're like, um, almost gonna, they're gonna be almost. There's just under 30 MLS teams now, and not all of them have an MLS cup. Um, you know, the Browns, like, I don't know. I mean, like, the Browns haven't haven't won a, a, a championship in quite a while. I'm gonna, or if not at all, I don't, I'm I'm not a big NFL historian. I think they maybe back in the 60s, but uh, um, but. but yeah. But, but why do people still turn out for the Browns? I mean, it's not just about winning. It, it's it's about your history, your community. Ohio State football, you know, has that pageantry, that history, that generational feel to it. That you know, there are notable exceptions, and, and I, I would, as much hate to say it, I think the Browns football is an exception. I think the Buckeyes is an exception. Now, their fans do go down a little bit, and um, recently, probably about ten years ago, they were struggling. They weren't selling out games. Well, they may have been selling out games, but people were coming to the games. But, I mean, there's a lot of other places, seriously. The Indians. I mean, you know, we can get Indians fans on here to say how wonderful the Indians were and, man, what history and what great, you know, whatever. You know that when, unless the Indians are contending for a World Series, they don't draw. Because in April in Cleveland, the weather sucks, and you're not going to sit outside a baseball game and freeze half to death. Um, attendance picks up in the summer, and if they're good. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people are like that. And, and that's honestly a struggle with the MLS. I mean, yeah, they're, they're fan groups that do that do well, and they actually come to the games and everything. But overall, you don't sell a ton of tickets unless your team's good. I got to say, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, I'm sure. Everyone's like, wow, what a – Great up and coming hockey season, Columbus is. That's bull crap. Um, when the Blue Jackets think, no one goes to the games. I mean, it took the Blue Jackets defeating a number one seed in the playoffs for the lot. The fans get loud, and then, you know, 
lots of sell for lots of excitement because they won. I, I mean, it's like that. And let's leave it like this. Not that we can never talk about the crew again. I want to talk about I mean, it's going to become <laughs> an issue in the future. But I guess what I'm saying is I think it's going to come down to no matter what you think about pro sports, it, it's the bottom line. That's what it is. So I, I see a lot of Twitter talk about, hey, I'm out. Not going to any more games. Canceling my season tickets. But it'll be interesting to see how many people, A, actually do that, and B, how much does it mean to the owner's bottom line? Um, you know, T-Bone, who, who's an avid um, uh, crew fan, he's a host on, uh, you know, the fan, the show I was referring to a little bit earlier. I was listening to the show, and he's like, man, I'm probably going to be out. But you know what? I'm going to keep my season tickets because, you know, they won the cup last year, and, man, I want to see this new stadium. <clears throat> Hey, you can feel what you want. I'm not saying everyone's got to cancel their tickets, but there's always acceptance to be made there. So really, if you're a crew fan, you're upset, and you want to make a difference, you know, Ryan will tweet you want and everything else, but, you know, you got him. I mean, it hurts. That, but <laughs> just a couple, cu- couple thoughts, and I'll end it there. But, you know, that is one thing is I have a credit with from last year's season, and it's applied to this year and next year. Uh, at least eligible wise to use that credit. I, and I'm not sure necessarily what the rules and stipulations would be to get that money back if I wanted to go that way route. But like, like some people, I want to check out the new stadium, but at the same time, are, is, am I going to, is it going to be that stadium, that Nordeca, the Nordeca has like a seating capacity of 3,300, you know, is 3,300 people really going to show up at that new stadium? Or is it going to be really kind of sparse and empty? And of course, barring, you know, any COVID restrictions. Um, So that's one thing. The other thing, though, as far as I guess another thing that really wrinkles me, though, is just the reasoning they give for dropping the crew from the name. And that's like, um, you know, they wanted to put more emphasis on Columbus as a city. And I get that. But here on their bloody Twitter, (laughs) new Twitter account. You know, in the logo, you have the new logo, which says Columbus SC with the giant weird looking C there. And then at the bottom, the display name is the crew. And then the Twitter handle is at Columbus crew, the most jarring branding rollout ever. And I don't know if it's in response and reaction to the backlash, but, um, you know, the crew is off to a rocky start with this, with this trying to trying to make the crew a nickname. And I just think it's not, it's so inorganic though. But, you know, like you said, it's at the end of the day, it's going to be the, the franchise. It's a franchise. This, the Columbus soccer franchise is taking a chance on alienating the old fan base. Sometimes the old fan base is a little too clingy to the past, but it's, it's accepted the, 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 uh, the old, the, the second crest. <laughs> um, but it's alienating and it's hoping that it will, churn out more new fans whoever that new fan is or will be in the future um for me though i just look at columbus sucker club and i'm like it's bland it's boring um always will be the columbus crew i agree sorry just had a little bit of lunch and wanted to eat off mic but um yeah so yeah, we'll see what happens. Again, I guess the bottom line of my rant is, hey, you know, get your money back if you're concerned. I'm not saying Brandon. I'm just saying anybody out there is upset about the decision. Because that's what's going to make the difference. I mean, right all you want on Twitter, 
yell all you want in the radio program, but you know, it hits in the back pocket. I mean, believe me, I've done PR for companies before where we've had tough days where there's been a lot of backlash. And yeah, it's not fun to read icky stuff in the media or on Twitter or anything. But where it really hurts is when you sit there and say, okay, all these tweets cause us to lose, you know, all this money revenue. That's when CEOs start really listening. That's when ownership starts listening. Not just, oh my gosh, there's 10 bad tweets today. No, I mean, you know, you lose money, that's when people pay attention. I know this from sitting in uh, business offices as well. But hey, we're the Ohioan, and although this is a big issue in Ohio, let's touch on some other um, issues today as well. Um, Ohio um, made an announcement um, for, and I didn't even know that this wasn't a requirement, but, you know, if you collect unemployment, you have to at least pursue and look for a job. Um, there was a waiver made on this last year with um, COVID. I know for some people it's hard to even go look for a job in the midst of COVID. Although COVID's still a big issue, you know, with vaccinations, the numbers going down as much. Uh, well, the numbers going down a little bit. Uh, they say, hey, it's time to reinstate this. You got to look for a job. Now, Brandon, I, I think this is good in theory. The problem I have, and I've seen this even when I'm hiring people, is sometimes people just throw out random applications just so they could say, hey, I applied for a job. Um, you know, I was an editor of a newspaper, and you get these applications for people to say, hey, I, you know, hey, I'd like to work here. Well, you haven't written anything in your life. Well, I'd still like to work here. I like the idea. I like the policy. But. I don't think this policy means much of anything because if I'm looking for a job and I'm not really serious about it, what would stop me from taking a half hour applying to five places, knowing I'm not qualified? And if they never call back, who cares as long as I get my unemployment? Yeah, and this is a problem that my own mother-in-law is experiencing lately. Um, you know, she runs a barber shop. Um, you know, just doing the best she can with the COVID protocols, um, and we, you know. Some is just there's some a little bit of turnover going on, um, sometimes and or coming down the road. And you know, ask I help her out with you know, job postings on Indeed and whatnot. And we get a lot of that. I mean, it's weird because it's like we get an application, we get the resume, we reach out to them, and there's and I'm like, Are you interested? Yes, I get a reply back. Yes, I am. Okay, here's the number. Give us a phone call to set up an interview. Um, and it's like then at that point's radio silence. Um, so for, and it's strange. We're we're, we're I'm fresh. We're, and it's a waste of our time. It's this doesn't help small businesses out at all. For because you know when we're trying to find a worker, we don't have the the capital to necessarily go and put to spend money on a, a lot of money on Indeed because Indeed's like you know it's 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 convoluted and annoying to like put a job posting on Indeed or any other place you know, but just to find, you know, someone who's interested in working for us, um, you know, and uh, of course, um, you know, I don't know if, the, you know, like you, I mean, I'm of, I hear like the uh, work, search for work, pursue work to, in order to get your unemployment, you know, but um, um, honestly, it's, um I'm, I'm more, if, if we have to go down this route, like, 
I feel like I'm, I feel like there needs to be like some sort of middleman in that sense. The state needs to come put spend some money and create some sort of website or portal and says you have to pursue it through this job portal, um, and where employers can provide feedback and say this person's not qualified, and that will be a red flag for unemployment for the unemployment. This person's not. This person's wasting our time. This person, um, or. You know, hey, we're off. We're offering an interview. Oh, this person's not responded. What's going on? And that that thing, I think. I mean, I, I'd hate to go that route because I do think, you know, some people, um, in times of need, like need unemployment. And I hate. I kind of don't like it that necessarily these kind of requirements get attached to this kind of welfare. But um, but um, and especially during a pandemic, but. I, at the same time, I just don't like the current status quo where, you know, we can't, fi- we are, might, you know, we're having a hard time fi- try find someone who, who's licensed and can cut hair. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's, uh, it's frustrating to say the least. Yeah, the idea makes sense. I can see somebody listening to that going, oh, it's, um, what do you call it? Like government controlled jobs or whatever, but. I, I mean, I think you need something. Because like I say, it, it's a good story. Um, you know, in theory, it sounds great. But, I mean, the reality, I, I'm not sure. But I think it's like if if you get unemployment, you know, then set up a require volunteer hours at that, at that rate. You know, like, oh, here's a list of all these nonprofits and stuff that you can put in 20 hours, you know, doing volunteer work. You know, if you have to make ensure that this isn't a cushy, hey, stay at home and get money kind of deal, you know, what what's wrong with getting get it's a guaranteed job in a sense, in that sense, like you you alluded to earlier. But um, I just think, you know, you know, it, it seems more productive than actually, I think it would be actually better because if they're doing volunteer work with a nonprofit, that might open doors for development, networking, getting your your getting them out of the house it's um, I think that's more effective than them just sitting at home applying to jobs online. Yeah. It could be kind of like the old JFK national service thing. And you know, where JFK was, uh, he was actually proposing more people to national service and yeah, it wouldn't be a requirement for everybody, but Hey, if we're looking for a job, it kind of clears your mind. You know, I mean, say you got laid off at wherever you're, job is sometimes you just run home and start applying like crazy well yeah you, you still need to apply for a new job but you know if you can volunteer it takes your mind off maybe kind of centers you a little bit and yeah you can still go home and apply for jobs in your field but you know it kind of gives you that break you know that you could use huh? i don't know if people would go for it but i think in theory it sounds good i mean like i mean like like i said i mean if there's if you know, a pandemic's a different circumstance. Like I, I, I don't think um, anyone should have to be feel forced to work in a, um, you know, for a minimum wage job or whatever. I think every person should be able to make a living wage if you work forty hours a week. Um, you know, whether it's subsidized by the government or not. You know, I, I we have to we have to achieve that that thing because. I, you know, my mom, my mom was in that circumstance. She worked 40 hours. She tried, she tried to work 40 hours a week if her boss would let her. Um, but, you know, try to make, try to make ends meet just doing, um, a minimum wage job. And, uh, 
you know, I don't know. I feel like we put this country likes to punish people for, for a lack of ambition or, or the appearance of a lack of ambition. But, um, um, but it's like, sometimes for her, it was like, look, I have two kids. I want to help them. I want to make sure I have enough time to spend time with them. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of nuances that get overlooked, but yeah. It, it looks be creative. And I, I think the thing that disappoints me is however people would react. A lot of times it's clouded by politics, like, oh, those people, they're probably all, all on drugs to go on that job. And then there's other people saying, hey, everyone should get a job, get everyone a job. I, again, and I say this every day. Let's put away our political hats. I'm, again, Brad, I'm not talking about our conversation, but you, you know, if you're a legislator, put away your political hat and say, hey, the system's not working. Let's figure out a way to make it work. And yeah, you might be influenced by your politics, but don't let your politics dictate what you do. Do something that says, hey, this makes sense. Maybe this is not something I, tr- I totally back to my political party, but hey, here's a compromise. Let's make it work. I wish politics operated more that way. Well, you know, it's like I always say, it's like, you know, the waves of ideology often crash into the shores of reality, um, yet the waves always retreat back and to make another attempt. <laughs> um, I think, um, I guess that I'd want to try and say is, look, you know, we all have ideologies and we're all, some of them are a bit, you know, fit into one, fit into different categories, but some are, and there's might be a little differences and tweaks. We're all human. We all have different varying opinions, even though we could be putting into any different silos at any given point on a given issue. Um, but, you know, um, I agree with you. We got to think outside the box. We got to think creatively. And, and I do think the media sometimes tries to paint that dichotomy of uh, it's either this or that. Um, and I think, you know, um, oftentimes the middle, the middle ground or the out of the box doesn't get really translated well. Yeah. Um, so we just do, you gotta, gotta just kind of gotta keep, keep at it. Definitely. Definitely. All right. And speaking of keeping at it, I got to keep to my schedule because I'm getting myself behind. It's my fault. I waded back into the Columbus cruising. <laughs> so, so not your fault, my fault, but yeah, let's get back on track and, Hey, I want to give you some friendly advice. Chase Bank. Hey, if you're looking for a bank, if you're not happy with your bank, try Chase Bank out. It's worked for me. I mean, hey, I know. Let's be honest. Not every bank works for everybody, but Chase Bank worked for me. It it made life easier. There's a lot more banks around. Um, The bank I used to have had no banks in Columbus. I had to drive an hour and a half to get the bank I know. Uh, But Chase Bank, lots of banks and lots of ways you can do your banking online. Uh, very rarely have I had to even go through the drive-through at a bank over the past year. And during COVID, it's nice. You want to save time. And Chase Bank does that. And, hey, if you open an account, attach a direct deposit to it, now you got to click on the link, either on the website or podcast provider, however you access this podcast. But if you use that link and open an account, um, they will pay you 225 bucks. Uh, just attach a direct deposit to it. So try Chase Bank. It works for me. We hope it will work for you as well. All right. Uh, just a quick update on what's happening on the Ohio sports betting. Uh, we don't have sports betting yet in Ohio, but there are proposals, and there's more traction 
to do a um, to do betting in Ohio. And I had Tyler Buchanan on, I think it was about two weeks ago now. And if you have a list, give a listen because he really breaks down not just the idea of should Ohio have sports betting or not, but he says, hey, look, there's a couple different proposals. And one of the proposals he talked about was the subject of a new bill that uh, Tyler wrote about uh, late last week, uh, talking about how they're proposing legal sports betting for Ohio casinos and lotto retailers. Now, um, Tyler was saying, hey, this could include if you go to the corner store and, and like the box that you would buy a lottery ticket, at, you can actually bet there too. So it, w- it would be interesting. Um, Brandon, I think this is when you were off. I think Craig and I were talking one day about this. I'm not a betting guy myself. I've got personal reservations against betting. I understand where Ohio is coming from this because, you know, the longer, even after COVID ends, I think we're going to find more ways that Ohio needs money (laughs) because I think this COVID is going to affect us economy-wise even years after COVID goes away. Um, So I, I can understand why Ohio wants to get involved. I mean, you know, if if you don't get some money from gambling, you're going to raise taxes. And although I'm not, uh, into sports betting, I'd rather see Ohio get money off sports betting than raise my taxes pretty high. Um, I do you see any reservations on this, or, or or just ways that this won't happen? I mean, it sounds like we're really heading this direction. Yeah, I, I you know, and I think Ohio's doing it in its own Ohio ways to some degree. I mean, it's trying to fit fit the nature of the industry and into its own um, legislative way to kind of, you know, it's some, it's creating a pathway for established sports betting um, operators like FanDuel or whatnot, um, DraftKings. And then of course, kind of giving uh, sports teams uh, sort of their own avenue. Um, There are some people kind of left out of this scenario. I think bars and restaurants, particularly based on, uh, you know, they have uh, Capital Journal's uh, reporting. Um, oh, the, overall, though, I, I, you know, I don't really have any reservations about sports betting. Um, I do think, other than that, the money's, I always see this, ooh, the money's going towards education. And I really, I'm even, you know, I mean, like, we already have, like, it's all, I always feel like that's a PR kind of ish thing. And, I, and somehow I feel like there's still, yeah, there's still inequities and, in, and education funding in Ohio somehow still. And, you know, I, the line that says it's going to public and private concerns me. Cause I'm like, you know, why is a private entity getting, I guess that's more private's probably really more implying charter schools, but um, um, you know, I would rather it that the dollars be go, go to more towards the schools that don't have enough resources that are lacking resources. Like, but um, other than that, that's the only, um, thing I, I that concerns me as far as like where those tax dollars are going to go but um other than that though as far as the practice of you know me, trying to score big on you know on how a, a sports team performs um you know have at it i suppose and you know um i'm i think there's enough if probably a lot of people have you know a lot of the concerns about how gambling and would affect uh you know, the competitiveness of sports, but um, it's an entertainment thing, you know. Well, I, I have two, maybe not concerns, but ideas. One, I think, and it would be helpful because we're talking about public money, 
um, but it would also be helpful as PR for sports betting and PR for the lottery. You know, you always hear, hey, a certain percentage goes to education and everything. Like you were saying, I want that spelled out. I want a press release. Send it to your state reporters. Um, send it to your local governments and everything. I want press releases to say, hey, you know, um, you know, Columbus City Schools built a park at one of their, their inner city schools. Uh, it cost 15000 like maybe a new swing set or a new playground, whatever the case might be. That money came from the Columbus Casino from sports betting. You know what I mean? And I think that way, if you start to do it, and yet it's probably hard to put together, but you can. That way you spell out clearly. Not just saying, hey, like every time there's a story, hey, 20% of the money comes from sports betting or whatever. I want to see, hey, you know, the new chalkboards we built in this school or we replaced the um, heating system. It became courtesy of the lottery or, or sports betting. I think it would help be great PR for these places. I think it would be great PR... Also, understanding for the public to say, oh, wow, this money is actually going to us. This money is actually helping us. I don't think they've done that that well. And it's been a harm to lottery and the <clears throat> sports bank people. <clears throat> Good PR would help. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I don't know exactly if the money does go to a swing set or a, a new boiler room, but uh, right. I mean, but yeah, to your point, yeah, I think. Just saying, how's the money being spent? You say education. Well, what does that look like? Um, um, how are those dollars distributed? Uh, what's the breakdown? What what are I want a list of every school district and how much money each school district has re has received such money. Um, is it all equally distributed um, to all every single school district in Ohio? Um, is it uh, you know? Is it or is it by school? I just think. Uh, you know, I think it's not good enough to say, oh, 10 percent and that money is going to public education. Um, and if and I and if the, there are if there's some, you know, with the current setup with our other lottery system, if, the, if there's some report out there. I mean, yes. Why are you not doing press releases? <laughs> I don't I don't get that. Like put that information out there. It's just good PR. Um, and, you know, what you know, um, there's already like um, services for gambling addiction or whatnot but you know honestly i mean i remember when um people were kind of kind of complaining about putting a, a casino in in the hilltop um and there was like this whole campaign and there was like this big ad this big uh anti-casino ad where they try to say oh this casino will lead to more alcohol and uh, uh gambling addictions or whatnot and honestly i don't know if i've if i've if I've seen that or if I've heard issues and I don't think, honestly, I think if anything, the casino has been insular and it's, it keeps its area nice, but it hasn't really provided the economic development impact for that area. But, um, I have seen though, my God, I have seen a plenty of PR though for, for gambling addiction. And I, I, I don't know if it's, if it's just, be, if that is a, a, because of, of, gambling addiction is a concern or if it's just being proactive it's it's hard to say i haven't really seen any stories but um so i don't know if it's 100 percent, but there is a requirement from a casino that they have to put out hey here's how to stop gambling addiction now i bet you there may be some gambling opponents who also do that 
But there is a requirement that a casino has to put out, hey, here's where you go if you're addicted to gambling. Yeah, and that's a good point. Yeah, that is true. They have to put out that those resources. And that's probably why I see it. And that's good, though. I think being proactive and letting people have a helpline, I mean, or at least, you know, maybe a, a relative of a loved one who's got suffering from gambling addiction. But, um, you know, it's just kind of one of those sins that you have, we have in our, we tolerate in our society, like with alcohol consumption and, uh, um, and syntaxes are a great way to tra- channel it towards positive things like education and, um, probably to some, maybe it's a little bit can go towards, um, you know, um, support group services for those who who don't handle handle their handle the fun moder- in moderation. Well, and look, we used to work for a small, you know, local hometown type newspaper where you know, hey, you know, we were told, and hey, I was the editor of the paper, and I was told, <clears throat> hey, if we get information that lists that hometown, yeah, make sure you write about, <clears throat> make sure it goes in the paper. So. I mean, look, if, you know, they could pull up <coughs> press releases saying, hey, this is how we help your local school. Yeah, it's going to make the paper. I can guarantee it, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a good, another good point, too. So um, just a lot of ways to channel and direct funds. Um, and I think that should be explored, as always. <clears throat> All right. If you're looking for, excuse me, coffee. Chris, take a water break. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for filling in a little bit. But. All right. Well, um, Brandon, sorry about that. I hate you. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, excuse the coughing. It's been a little bit of a rough morning. Um, but hey. Speaking of a rough morning, <clears throat> it's hard. I mean, right now with COVID, our jobs, you know, we don't have a bunch of extra time. I mean, you know, Brandon was telling me, um, you know, you can't watch everything on TV. We were talking about TV a little bit yesterday. I mean, you've got a limited time. you got to take advantage of the time you have. And, you know, even during COVID, we need new furniture from time to time. And, you know, in the old days... For, you know, buying a new couch was a huge investment, not just in money, but in time. You had to go out to the furniture store. You had to look around, sit on <coughs> couch. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm dying <coughs> here. <coughs> like I said, it was a huge investment. You're looking around. You got to sell a bunch of couches. You got to talk to a salesman. And you <coughs> eventually buy a couch. You have to figure out a way of making a home. I mean, Brandon, it used to be all afternoon, and you were out, you are about. You don't have that time. <coughs> and with COVID, it becomes really hard. And when your spokesman is coughing, <coughs> coughing it's even harder, Brandon. What do you do? <coughs> but check out Ashley Home Store. Um, <coughs> Ashley Home Store is a great place to look at. Um, click on our link online, <coughs> and you can get a coupon for a... <coughs> Discount on Ashley Holmes for <coughs> Excuse me, Brandon. Sorry about this. Uh, yeah, you get a coupon. The discount for Ashley Home Store. It's a great place to go and check out for good furniture deals. Ashley Home Store. It's pretty good. Um, Brandon, let me take a drink. I want you to talk a little bit about sheets the next door on your list. Sure. 
Um, well, Sheets has just, uh, which has recently start rolled out a uh, an expansion here in Columbus. Um, they are actually boosting pay uh, to as much as three dollars per hour to attract and retain employees. And I'm when I, I should mention that's not necessarily uh actually paying three dollars. I think it's more around like uh. $16 if I from my heard actually my my wife brought this up to me and um to, uh and so um um and it was just like oh you know it's uh it's uh it's a fun brand in a way uh you know I came across sheets back up in Youngstown uh we don't have we didn't when we didn't have sheets in Columbus and uh my wife and I just kind of fell in love with the Reese's peanut butter cup hot chocolate so uh, um this is a brand I always feel good about and I'm excited that they're coming to Columbus. Um, I would, I told my wife if they would ever set up one just down my street, I would just go down there for lunch. But, um, you know, this is a bit of a editorial fly, but anyways, here's the facts though, is that the temp, you know, it's, a uh, the average wage across all store employees will be $15 per 50 per, per hour for store members and 1850 for supervisors. Um, so, um, that, that'll go down, um, that'll go down, I think to 1450 for stores and 1750 for in September, uh, cause that was a $1 increase was just because of, um, so I was a little bit off there, but yeah, the, it was a little bit of a, um, um, uh, um, but, but it's still pretty good, pretty cl close to a living wage for store employees. Um, permanent increase equates to about 50 million in annual investment according to sheets. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, um, the nuts and bolts of it is, um, just try companies trying to get their wages. Some of the bigger companies are trying to get their wages as close to a living wage as possible to attract workers. Um, and, um, and, uh, that's uh, kind of fits into that narrative of you know trying to get everyone to um, pay their employees uh, a living wage. Uh, I think you know, you know, in that broader narrative there though, it's um, 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 you know, there's a lot of mom and pop places that might not be able to afford paying a living wage. So for them though, it's still like the crunch still comes out if like trying to find eligible workers and whatnot. So, um, Chris, I've been rambling here. Uh, feel well, free. Yeah, Are you feeling yeah, good right. here? <laughs> I tried to nibble on something, uh, a granola bar, and went down the wrong pipe, and I was hacking for a little bit. But I think I'm okay now. Yeah, I would just go back to real quick. Um, sheets. Uh, when Brandon was off, we talked about Sheets. I tweeted about Sheets. It sent me a big gift pack, which was weird. Um, I kept asking him, I said, hey, I want us to come up and do a taste test when COVID blows over. And they sent me a gift pack. So hopefully we can maintain that relationship with them down the road. I, I think it's good. I mean, you know, $15 an hour, you're not going to be able to retire on that. But, Brandon, as you said, it's a living wage. And I think the good thing about it is I know Sheets puts a – not of gas stations don't, but, you know, Sheets puts a little bit more emphasis on quality of the food. And I think if you're paying somebody a living wage, you know, you're probably more likely to keep a sheets worker at $15 an hour over a another worker at another gas station maybe makes 11 12 bucks an hour. 
And so, you know, probably to them, um, a lot of good things have been said about the quality of food there and the quality of their service. And you get what you pay for it. If you can pay more people more, you're more likely to have a better worker there. So, uh, Bravo Sheets. Um, let me quickly finish up on Ashley Holmes. Right? Um, they're affiliate marketer. Uh, partner of ours, but I wanted to kind of hack through that, uh, Matt. Um, you know, like I was saying, you, you know, you want to save time over your holidays. Um, well, you want to save time all over the year, especially now during COVID. Um, you know, getting furniture used to be an all-day thing. Well, <clears throat> and you had to figure out how to get the couch back to your house. Costs money, costs you time. And, you know, your time's money. Sorry. I mean, well, let's say it for what it is. So, if you go to Ashley Home Store, uh, click on the link in our podcast provider or our website. They'll give you a coupon right away. You can use that coupon for anything at Ashley Home Store. You save money. You can do your shopping from online. They'll deliver it to you. Great deals. And check out Ashley Home Store as well. Um, I also, Brandon, let me let, give out a couple of our ads real quick. Uh, listener support ad. Hey, help us out. Um, Brandon, it's clear I need health care because I almost died uh, a couple minutes ago on the show. Uh, so we have a listener support tab. You can win prizes. It's a good way of just supporting the show. Um, we're doing this, man. We've got seven, day, <clears throat> seven days of content. We do shows four days a week. Uh, we got some bonus shows with some faith content. Uh, some content for our friends Paul and Joe. And uh, Craig's pop culture content. And we're always looking for more content. We have a Seinfeld show, a Steelers show. Our friend Rachel Coyle comes on. So lots of good information. Check us out. Um, help us reinvest in the show and help us support each other. And I haven't heard from our friends at Caribbean Apparel for a while. So Caribbean Apparel, hey, if you look at my clothes, my clothes are boring. I've got the same clothes over and over again. If you want some... You know, just want some change, uh, want some fun clothing. Caribbean Apparel is the place to go. Check out their ad. It'll help them. It'll help us to check them out. Um, Brandon, I want to remind you that Rachel Coyle, I talked to her late last week. Um, there is a bill going out there about um, what, I'm using air quotes on this, election reform. It is similar to kind of what's happening a little bit in Georgia. It got to be controversial. It's being discussed in Ohio. We had Rachel Coyle from How Things Work at the Ohio State House on late last week uh, to talk about what this bill means. We're going to attach that interview. I haven't released it yet to the end of the podcast. So uh, check out Rachel uh, Rachel's interview there as well. Uh, Bryn, let's do a speed round on the other items we haven't talked about. Um, Grader's Ice Cream Bonus Flavor, uh, Cincinnati.com wrote about this yesterday. Um, they're proposing black raspberry cookies and cream. I say thumbs down. What do you think? Oh, you know, I love black raspberry. Oh, uh, I don't, I'm not a big cookies and cream fan, though, so I don't know. I'm on the fence here. I guess, I guess I'll give it a try. Well, I think the big question is if you like black raspberry. I'm not a big black raspberry fan. But, it, you know, if you are and somebody is, that may not be a bad thing. I mean, the, I think there are lots of black raspberry. <clears throat> I'm, I'm okay with cookies and cream. I'm not sure about black raspberry. So, well, if you try out, let us know what you think. It'll be interesting. Um, also, the other thing, I want to mention so, a little more detail. Um, Ernest Angley died. Uh, he was a, um, 
I don't know if the word is famous or popular, but he was an Ohio televangelist. Uh, he was based up in the Akron area. Um, you know, he had a big TV ministry that was seen all around the world, and he traveled around the world. Kind of controversial in his methods. Uh, there was, over the years, some people who made some accusations about him, even sexual accusations. Uh, Angelou lost his wife um, in the early 70s, so, and he never remarried, so he was a single guy. Uh, there were some um, sex allegations that he actually admitted to the end of his life, so it wasn't just allegations, it was things he admitted to. Um, I, I don't know, Brandon, my Well, before we get there, the other weird thing about it was they had a museum um, it, it was funny. It was a very charismatic ministry, uh, something that really I wasn't familiar with and my parents weren't familiar with. But as a kid, they would take me to, he had this smorgasbord or, or this big, like, buffet and a little museum you could walk around. And I don't know if my dad thought it was funny or whatever, but he used to take us up there on occasion. We'd walk around and we think it was so strange and different and everything. I, you know... I talked about this last week with Josh Duggar uh, being arrested. I don't like Christian celebrity. Um, I, I think we get so impressed with some of these people. Like we say, oh, this guy's a TV evangelist. Or, wow, you know, this family has a bunch of kids. Look, they're on TV. Yay, they go to church and everything. But we get so into them and we talk about these guys so much that we forget Human beings, we all suck at times. We all do weird stuff. We all do bad stuff. And if we don't keep an eye on that, we our faith looks idiotic because we almost embrace people like Josh Duggar and Ernest Angley as much as we do God at times. And when we do that, it, it just looks silly. And honestly, for people out there who are in the faith or, or get mad at faith, guys like Josh Duggar and Ernest Angley or why people hate faith. And the way I look at it is saying, my faith's not based on a silly reality star or a silly TV evangelist. My faith's based on, based on God. And that's who our focus should be on. So I don't like this whole celebrity Christian culture that some people embrace themselves and wrap themselves into because you screw up. And a lot of times people are in it for the right reasons. And I, I would say that, I mean, Ernest Angley, maybe it was a, a singular mistake, but you can't have sexual allegations and be have a worldwide TV ministry. And, you know, I know Josh Duggar was a kid at the time. He's a young adult and everything. But you can't have child pornography. And, I mean, that's a serious allegation. It's a serious problem. And you, you just you can't do that. And being Christian leadership or being Christian ministry. It's a shame. I don't know. That's what I ran for today. I would just say that, you know, allegations, um, you know, they need to hold some water. But, you know, I, I think for these cases, these are pretty, I think they're pretty sound credible in some cases. But, uh, you know, I, I look, as far as the concept of a televangelist or anyone who's kind of, kind of using Christianity in a, in the in the in the sphere of celebrity um you know for me I, I there are a lot of charlatans out there um you know and they don't they don't help in terms of the faith i think um oh and um you know so 
I think, um, and there's clearly some of them who just are in it for the money and really raise a lot of money. And I don't, I, you know, I think that's it's it's um, it's unfortunate, you know, that that somehow you're able to convince a group of people that it's okay that your pastor is actually got enough money to buy a private jet <laughs> or you give him enough money to buy a private jet. To me, that just sounds to me. That's like, uh, uh, that, that's, that's really unfortunate. Uh, I, I, I don't know how that phenomenon even occurs, especially when we look at such a, at the amount of distrust put at our government officials. Um, it, it, it's strange. We don't. I, I don't know. We hold our politicians to a higher standard than our, our these televangelists, Chris. It's 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 strange. Uh, well, just and, to, and let me clarify, just to make sure. Just because you're Christian celebrity, I, I mean, if you are some worldwide ministry, or if you are like a big band or something that's popular, just because you're popular doesn't mean you have issues. I, I'll give an example, and I, I've covered these guys in the past. We had their keyboardists on. Uh, even the Ohioan show recently, Switchfoot, they've made it big. And I've talked to a lot of people who said, hey, they haven't let that affect them. They're still, you know, they still are faith. They're, they're very careful not well, to. Well, the distinction there, though, it, you know, that it reminds me of, uh, you know, on the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine, they have an actor who's playing, uh, who plays the police chief there, uh, uh, who's the police chief's black, he's gay. Um, so when the actor told his son like what role he got. He's like, Oh, you're playing a, a, a gay, pol- a, a gay black uh, police chief. He's like, no, I'm playing a, a black police chief. Who's gay. And I think, you know, there are plenty of celebrities who are Christian, but they're not a Christian celebrity. I think even Switchfoot and even other, some, some, some other Christian bands have even disputed. Like they didn't like the designation of Christian right. band. I don't right. think, I don't think, uh, like you Switchfoot's know. not touring just based on the Christian name, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, what? I've gone to a, I've gone to a Switchfoot concert at the State Fair several years ago, and it's uh, you could you. I mean, I can't. I mean, I think a lot of their music probably is faith inspired, but you know, it's a main. It sounded mainstream to me. It can, it could pass off for mainstream if if I like teleported, teleported or time traveled from 20, 2050 and ended up in two thousand. I don't know, whenever they were popular, 2003, 2004, 2005, like, and they were, and I was in the Ohio State Fair and listening to their song called Gone, like, yesterday it's gone. But anyways, uh, um, you know, I mean, I wouldn't know if, uh, um, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, oh, this is Christian music. I wouldn't, I wouldn't immediately make that jump to conclusion, maybe. So, um. And well, I, guess, I guess my point is, and you're right, Switchfoot doesn't, you know, make money off the fact to say, hey, where's Christian Band or whatever. I, I, I totally get that. I, I guess what I'm saying is because people like Josh Dugger and Ernest Sainzer fails, that doesn't mean everybody in the Christian aspect that has a big ministry, that, that doesn't make everybody a failure. I guess that's what I'm trying to emphasize. But at the same time, well, yeah, you have a huge responsibility that if you're representing God, that you make sure you do it for the right reason. You make sure you're not misusing money. You make sure you're not, you know, messing around with kids or anything else like that. You've got a huge responsibility that doesn't only have implications here on Earth, but you know, hey, Bible talks about you get you're judged. I mean, and 
as a ministry, you'll be judged even harshly if you're using ministry to mess around. And yeah, people do that. We look at the Catholic Church. We look at other things too. And and there is a, oh, it's yeah. Again, it's not just here on Earth, but it, it, there's an eternal consequences right too. Well, you know, Tim Tebow's back in the news because he's getting back into football, Chris. But I remember the team Tim Tebow craze. Um, you know, uh, years ago, you remember like, and there was a lot of talk about Tebow in terms of his faith and, uh, um, and just kind of that aspect and, you know, sort of the, the kind of the sort of how he, I think some prayer maybe was kneeling and doing prayer a lot of on the football field or whatnot, but, um, um, and, um, well, um, I think, I think Tim Tebow's, the issue people have with Tim Tebow was Tim Tebow was very, very outspoken. And almost to the point where, hey, I'm a Christian. You know, we're talking about faith now. But I think the issue that some people have with Tim Tebow, even some Christians did, where they were saying, hey, you can talk publicly about stuff, but you don't have to yell, God, 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 God. And, and that was the issue of Tim Tebow. It, it was almost like overbearing to the point where even as a Christian, you're saying, hey, that's not how I talk to other people. TMZ actually was like, we're going to offer money to anyone who can prove he's had uh, premarital premarital sexual intercourse. (laughs) Well, it's possible. It's very possible that he hasn't. But what I'm saying is, I mean, the issue was more of it just kind of became overbearing. It'd be like on the Ohio one if I say, hey, let's do this podcast about Ohio. And then I just quote the Bible versus, you know, four hours a week, which I don't. Um, but yeah, you know, some people have an issue with it, but I, I guess what I'm saying is if you make a stand for God, if it's like me who does a podcast, who we talk about God on occasion, or if it's Tim Tebow, who talks about faith a lot as he's playing football or a band like Switchfoot, who they are Christians, but they don't wear their faith on their sleeve or, uh, Josh Duggar, the creepy reality star guy that the family is of faith, but. Yeah, he's doing weird stuff. Or Ernest Ainsley, a guy who uses a TV ministry, and and you know he's amidst the sexual allegations and everything. You've got you you have a huge responsibility to represent God in an appropriate and proper way. And when oh, yeah. you don't, like Ernest Ainsley and Josh Duggar, and man, if we sat here for a couple hours, we'd probably think of hundreds of other people. That's when you have a problem. And again, you know. From reading the Bible, it's going to be a problem when you're judged one day. And obviously it's a problem because you make yourself look ridiculous here. And my issue becomes is it drives other people away from faith because someone's being a a, a dope with the way they live their life with Ernest Angel and Josh Duggar. I mean, it's not just the fact that Josh Duggar messed around with kids and possessed child pornography. Allegedly. I mean, if that's the case, he gets found guilty. Yeah, he should have every book in the world thrown at him. But in addition to that, what upsets me is if it gets found out one day that Josh Duggar's actions, because he was like, God, 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 turns people away from Christ, that's going to be a huge issue, not just here on earth, but in heaven one day, because... It, it's something that, you know, God doesn't like. So, I mean, it's interesting. Again, sorry to go to Sunday school and everybody, but that's the concern I have with people like Ernest Ainsley, 
Josh Duggar and everything else. No, I th- and I think it's always good to bring it up now and then, um, just kind of to kind of um, to put put out that distinction. Um, and um, yeah, it's not something. It's 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 not a label that should be thrown around superfluously, I guess. And um, you know, just kind of be cognizant of it. I mean, um, you know, and you know, apply. I I don't know personally for me. I would say try to focus more on personal relationships and try to focus more on don't try to make Christianity tribal. It, it's meant to be global. It's meant to be local. It's meant to be welcoming. And I think if, um, you know, and it can start out as simple as just, you know, with personal relationships, but the um, trying to, trying to go for the mass appeal. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it might to some degrees it's effective to some degrees. It has, it's, it's, it's a, uh, backwardsness to it but um that's all well i guess i'll say on that for now well let me leave with one thing too because it, it applies to what we're talking about um my dad was a pastor when um you know it was his job and everything uh it was funny in high school geez you know what kept me in the straight and narrow that I wasn't drinking or smoking or getting girls pregnant whatever my dad would get up and say look if my kid runs afoul and I had, you know, I have a brother and a sister. I can't be a pastor anymore. And I would talk to him about that afterwards and said, hey, you know, if I screw up, that's not your fault. It's not like you're telling me to get a girl pregnant or get drunk or, you know, smoke a ton of cigarettes or whatever. And he said, no, it does because that impacts how people see me and how I do. Even if it's not my fault, it impacts that. And, you know, the longer I live, my dad had a point. Because you look at some of these, you know, Christian culture people that failed, they fail and they run right back. You know, if you give them money, like Ernest Ainsley, man, when he admitted to abusing men, sorry, you're done. I I mean, you should not go back again. You know, rip down that church, pull the plug on TV, but the church is still up there. There's still serving buffets. They're still having a big TV ministry. How do you do that once that thing happens? You know what I mean? So, you know, hey, uh, one of the great legacies my dad left was that accountability. Even though it seemed harsh, it does make what you do mean more. So, I don't know. That's how I'll leave it. So, all right. So, what, what does this mean, Brandon? Like, Next tomorrow we'll talk crew for a half hour, and I'll give a sermon for a half hour. How about that? <laughs> well, great. I'll end. I'll end the show by saying today it's Craig's birthday. Um, oh, he's, I I, according to Facebook, unless it's uh, <laughs> you never know. People change their dates on there, but Craig, happy birthday! You know, if you needed to take a day off for the birthday, we would have given it to you. We're not. We're not. We're not sticklers, but. Um, uh, I know he had a lot. Sound like he had a long night, so hopefully he will have a better birthday. Well, and hey, we all miss days. It's fine, but yeah, you know, maybe Craig felt bad he missed today, and he was like, "Oh, I it's our birthday." <laughs> uh, he just did that. We'll so- razz him tomorrow. We'll razz him tomorrow and just say, you know, we we do offer birthday take birthdays off. It's okay. <laughs> well, well, take a screenshot of his birthday thing, and then. If he were tomorrow or next month, it changes. Well, now let's see, just changing it, just to, you know, avoid harm or whatever. No, but it's okay. Hey, it's okay. We all miss time, Craig. We hope to see you back tomorrow. And you know what? 
probably a lot's probably Craig now. No big sermons or no big Columbus screw things tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe Craig will be more likely to come back. Yeah, I hope no no crew talk tomorrow. We're putting the putting the ban on it. It's done. It's over with. The, the we'll watch. Crew. Something huge will happen today, like they'll move or something, and then we'll have to talk about. It. We're moving to Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> We're moving back to Austin. <laughs> we changed our mind. Oh. Here's the deal with Anthony Precourt. It's back. So, all right. Well, hey, we went long. Um, uh, my apologies to my wife upstairs, but hey, let, let's call it to end. Uh, the Ohio one for today. Thanks for listening in. Check our sponsors, please. It, it just helps uh, keep us afloat and uh, try and listen support and share it from your friends. Hey, I I am very thankful and I'm very honored that uh, people would spend an hour of their day to listen to the podcast. Uh, thanks for checking all of us out. We really appreciate it. Um, and stay tuned. Rachel Coyle, uh, she's going to be talking about the Ohio education reform or voter suppression. Depends how you look at it, Bill. You'll hear that next. Thanks for checking out the Ohio. You have a great day. All right. We are back here on the Ohioan um, with Rachel Coyle, our kind of statehouse correspondent. That tells us what's going on to Ohio State House each week. Rachel, how are you doing today? It is a busy day, Chris. How are you? Uh, yeah, we were just talking about that beforehand. Um, I'm very honored <laughs> that we did this time because, honestly, with what's happening <laughs> this week um, at my job and your job, uh, we can easily say, hey, let's not do this. But it's great that we're making this time for each other and to tell everybody about what's going on to Ohio State House. There is a lot of stuff we can talk about, and we have more time Maybe we could take a little bit more time to do more of a deep dive into a bunch of stuff going on. But I think to save us some time and to kind of not gloss over anything, we usually like to try to pick one topic. And the topic, to be honest, that kind of interested me today was um, school vouchers. Uh, School vouchers is something that has not been – I mean, it's been discussed before. This isn't a brand new thing. But uh, there is a new push. Um, for uh, school vouchers, and not just school voucher, universal school vouchers. Um, kind of interesting. Um, I'm looking at the the guy that proposed it. Um, it is a Re- Reardon McLean. Is that how we say his first name? I believe so. Okay, uh, he's a Republican from Upper Sandusky. Um, he say, "Hey, look, let's give these uh, people choices. Um, you know, what, what could be wrong with that?" Um, but, you know, there is some valid concerns. Obviously, you know, if you've listened to Rachel and I for a amount of time, you know, there's there's budget issues and there's a bunch of other issues going on. Uh, what are you seeing when you take a look at this and read the bill? Uh, talk about some of the concerns that some people have about what he's proposing. So this is a very it's an interesting bill because it's only two pages long. So basically well, they introduced it to start a conversation. Uh, But the conversation has a lot of folks very nervous because Ohio has we have failed to fund our schools constitutionally uh, for the last 24 years. The Ohio Supreme Court ruled that a while back. Um, And a lot of that has led to, you know, public schools struggling because they haven't received the funding that they deserve. And that leads to folks thinking that they need to get their kids out of the public schools. So this bill would basically let any parent of any kid, no matter how much money the family makes, uh, get more money from the state, your tax dollars, 
to go to any to a private school or maybe a, a charter school uh, to get the kid out of the public school system. There's a lot of controversy around this because it obviously means leaving a lot of kids behind at these struggling schools instead of fixing the schools, instead of funding them properly. It also defeats the purpose of even folks who support vouchers, support them for poor districts, poor kids getting out of uh, a, a struggling school district. If we give taxpayer dollars to every kid in the state to get out, that's going to cause controversy, I think, even among folks who might normally support a voucher. Right. And I kind of wonder, too, it seems like these are always at the expense of something else. Mm-hmm. Like, it would be interesting to say, hey, let's give the money we normally give to public schools. And because we like school choice, let's give another pot in addition to what we normally give to schools, public schools, for a voucher. I can get that. But it, it's always like, no, no, we're going to give a school voucher if that kid doesn't show up at the public school the public school loses that money because obviously in Ohio, it's slowly based on the number of kids that go to the school. So it, it's funny how this is always at the expense of one thing. Like it'd be nice to say, Hey, public schools, here's the dollars you need. And we're going to dedicate another million for kids who want to go to a private school. But sadly, it's not like that. And it seems to be very politically based. Is that fair to say? Yes, this is definitely a Republican bill. Um, and it really is. It's disappointing that instead that they're trying to do this instead of trying to fund schools properly for a few years and see if that works. You know, it would be great if we could fund schools in a constitutional manner and then no one would feel the need to take their kid out of the public schools. They wouldn't feel a need to move districts because all the schools could be high quality with the resources they need. And it just seems like that might be a better thing to try first uh, before we create this universal voucher system by telling ourselves that the school, the public schools are just a lost cause. It was interesting. Uh, Boy, it's been a while. Probably about 10, 15 years ago, I did some work with uh, charter schools Um, on both sides, actually. It was kind of funny. Uh, The PR firm I was working for kind of represented a large um, charter school group in Ohio, and they also represented Ted Strickland, who was very much against uh, charter schools. It's kind of weird how they walked that fine line. I still got kind of question that sometimes. Are, are, are we seeing a lot of that still? I mean, I know David, Dave Brennan's past. I mean, it's maybe not as much white hat management, but is there still a lot of charter school operators who are really trying to champion this? Absolutely. Ohio's, especially the Republicans, take a lot of money from charter school operators, uh, folks who run the charter schools. And there is a lot of controversy around that as well, because then we are sending kids using state dollars to schools that are operated by people who are donating to politicians. And that just feels wrong. When you have money involved in education, the money becomes more important. Than, than teaching those kids. And so there's a lot of controversy around that because there's a lot of money still flowing. Uh, there is, you know, it's it's always going to cause us, <laughs> it's always going to cause us concern when the donors get what they want in legislation. Well, and especially when you're dealing with the for-profit too. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the hallmarks of the taxpayer system is, hey, if you buy a pencil or if you send something on a trip, that's accountable, that's seen. I know a lot of times, again, from... My weird experience working for both Strickland and, um, you know, White Hat at the same time, 
you know, White Hat, for example, I'm sure there's probably other charter schools like that to operate in that basis. They don't have to present that, which is kind of a really gray area when you're talking about getting the state taxpayer money, too. So. Yes, and Ohio does not regulate our charter schools as strictly as they regulate the public schools, which is another controversy that we'd be taking kids out of the heavily regulated schools and sending them places with fewer regulations, less oversight. And there has been some effort to reform the charter schools over the last few years, but there's absolutely still a disparity between how much oversight there is on these new schools. And it's just, again, it makes me wonder why we're not going to try to give the public schools the resources they need as our first attempt, rather than sending kids elsewhere to new schools with less regulation. Well, has there been a talk to if they say, hey, if we have to have charter schools, like, I'm always the great compromiser. Say, how do you find something in the middle? I, has there been any ever talk to say, well, if, you, if you're going to have a charter school that's outside the public school, at least be accountable to taxpayers? Has that conversation ever come up where you say, hey, if we're going to let you have this charter school, you know, hey, it can't be for profit. It's got to be nonprofit. Yeah. Right. And we do see some nonprofit charter schools do well especially ones that are targeted towards certain types of kids with maybe a special interest or situation. But the problem with the for-profit schools is that they, they need that money. So they're recruiting kids to come in who probably aren't a good fit for the school. And they use, you know, questionable tactics. They spend their money that they get from tax dollars on advertising, which is questionable. Um, and so it is, it's all when there's money involved, like I said before, it's it always makes it that education comes second, and that just can't be the way we, we do things here. I smile because lots of stories I could tell you offline about that. Probably, <laughs> um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that on the internet, but yeah, lots of stories I could tell you that would um, back what you're saying. Um, and I, the other thing I can think of is you know, with COVID, we're getting a little bit more of you know, some of the public schools say, hey, you know, we're gonna have an online academy. And I've heard that a lot of bigger public schools are saying, hey, even after COVID, we're still going to allow this. So people have that option. So it sounds like public schools are starting to fight against that to say, hey, you know, let's offer some of these services that might be appealing to someone looking to go to charter school. Are you guys seeing that a little bit too? Yes. We have to be very careful with online education as a permanent entity. We saw big issues with it, with the ECOT scandal a couple of years right. back. Uh, and we also know that a lot of kids just don't do well without the, the regulation of a classroom, without a teacher, without people there to hold them accountable when they're just sitting, staring at a screen eight hours a day. We know that kids struggle with that. So you have to be very, very careful about which kids are being sent to these online schools. But yes, absolutely, the public schools are capable of and considering ways to help kids use that online learning and other types of learning that they might want to leave to get elsewhere. We just need the funding. The schools need funding. Well, I remember uh, I was once in a former um, editor role. Uh, we covered a local rural school. And, you know, they had that complaint. I mean, you're hearing that for every school in Ohio saying, you know, these kids are leaving. When they leave, we don't have this money back. And the point I was trying to make them is saying, hey, 
it's an interesting story. We'll write that story for you. Um, you know, it's a good, fair argument. But the thought would be is how can you develop better special needs programs? How, how can you develop better, whatever the case might be, attract these kids back? And I think for as awful as COVID is and how we need to be careful and everything, if there's a good thing from COVID, maybe it's giving schools the incentive saying, how can we offer better services for these kids who want to go away to say, hey, stay here. We've got the services that you'll probably like better than if you go to charter school acts. So definitely. I'm also hoping it leads to more broadband expansion because we know there's a lot of kids, especially in the rural areas, who don't have access to that internet they need to get online schooling. Uh, and so we're, I'm hopeful that COVID will lead to that also in connection to education. What's the latest about that? I know um, there was talk about saying, hey, we need more of that money. Is that still moving forward? Or I mean, what's the latest with that? I know there is attempts to move money for uh, broadband funding through the budget. So we will have to see if it ends up in the budget or not in the final process. Yeah, I think it's essential. I mean, you know, and I think now, even before COVID, well, I mean, after COVID, yes, <laughs> absolutely essential. But even before COVID, I mean, education, medicine, everything else, I, I mean, how do you proceed? I mean, this podcast, the work is through online. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably difficult now to do podcasts safely, but especially when you're looking at the very important things in life, like education, work, and training. I mean, broadband seems, it, it seems to be a no-brainer. Obviously, you know, some people will say, hey, is it worth this much, I mean, you got to figure out how much you can logically spend on it. But I mean, it would make sense though. Ohio needs a broadband upgrade. I mean, just for Ohio to continue to do business and for the people here to do business, which is obviously going to keep the economy trying to roll. So, very interesting. Very interesting. Well, a lot of issues coming up. And um, man, we haven't gotten to I um, support local journalism on you know, Columbus Dispatch and Susan Choir, just on Rachel. Uh, we usually pick a story from some of the, the reporting they do. And I said, man, there's like five things going on that we could talk about. So uh, support your local journalists, but more importantly, too, keep an eye on the Statehouse because there's a lot of stuff going on. And I know the argument in the past is, oh, how does this affect me? Well, hey, if you're an educator, if you have any kids, this affects you. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of things are are happening. And as Ohio starts to peak, I guess, out of COVID, I mean, we're – Definitely don't, we're not, shouldn't run off COVID, but as we're kind of looking at what a post-COVID life will look like, there's a bunch of stuff. I mean, Rachel and I have talked about this in the past. are coming up that Ohio's got to figure out. So it'll be fascinating. Keep your eye on the Ohio State House. It's not going to get, um, it's going to stay interesting. I'll say it for a while. <laughs> yes, it will be interesting. But before we go, any, and I just said, there's like 50 different things going on, but is there one thing that, obviously you're looking at a bunch of different stuff there, but is there one thing that's really caught your interest of what could be happening in the next seven days? The next week, I think, is going to have a lot to do with voting and redistricting. There's a new yeah. voting bill coming out. Uh, there's new redistricting commissions being formed by different groups, so I'm sure both of those issues will be big next week. Yeah, there was some reporting that just came out, and I think you were saying that there was a bill you're trying to look at. So, yeah, let's definitely um, make that on our list for stuff to talk about because um, some breaking details of that, and I'm sure some more stuff will happen soon. Yes. All right. Well, Rachel, as always, I appreciate it. Appreciate your time, and uh, have a great day. Everyone else, thanks for checking out the Ohioan. We'll talk to you later. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast. 
based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.